Hi, everybody. I'm here with Martin Selner and Brittany Pettibone. They have had quite an exciting week. I guess we'll let them get started with the story. So let's start at the beginning. Why were you heading to the uh, Fair Isle and what went down? Well, we were heading for separate reasons. Uh, we were going to do different things. And we can start with Martin because on our statements of why they would not let us in, they were different reasons. I was there because I was invited by Young Independence. It's a youth movement of UKIP. And I was invited the second time. First time in autumn, they wanted to do a conference where I present my movement, which is Generation Identity. And the conference, they had to cancel it because Antifa's threatened violence against it. The venue pulled out. Next time, and now, 2018, I was invited again to give a speech about freedom of speech in the UK. And this uh, got canceled again because Antifa again threatened violence, even though they kept the venue secret. And at this point, I said, no, I'll go there and I'll give my speech about freedom of speech on Speaker's Corner. That's why I wanted to go to the UK. And, and that's why they wouldn't let him in, because they said it would potentially raise tensions between local communities. And you wanted to interview Tommy. I just I wanted to interview Tommy Robinson. I was going to meet up with Lauren, who was also detained and denied entry into the UK. I was going to meet up with her. I was going to interview Sargon of Akkad. And then, of course, Tommy Robinson for an interview that I've been wanting to uh, do for a while now about his prison sentence. Um, he's been to prison five times for reasons related to his trying to expose Islam for what it is. So I, we were going to sit down and do that interview. We did it last night in Vienna. He came to Vienna. So we got the interview done. But this is why they said that he is a far right leader and who incites racial uh, hatred, you know, a, a against the, the basically he's a racist and a far right leader. So they really did not want me to interview him. And Martin even said, OK, you can you can detain me and just let her go through as an independent journalist and, and conduct her interviews, because without me, there will be no event at Speaker's Corner. And they said, no, actually, it's even more important that she doesn't interview Tommy. They really did not want me to for some reason. It's very bizarre because I was there about two weeks ago in the UK and had no issues. Right, right. I mean, I have a lot lot to say, but uh, let's get more to what happened. So you're trying to get in, you're going through customs, and they're like, you know, follow the bureaucratic breadcrumb trail to uh, this room, and then what went on from there? They, uh, first of all, they, they separated us. They took away our smartphones. We weren't able, we were cut off from the, from the outside world, and we couldn't even talk with each other. Mm. They were observing us all the time. They were searching all our stuff. They were uh, um, interrogating us. And then they were putting us in, in holding rooms to have there. And um, there we could see actually, in, in, according to the, to the people who had around us, how do you treat us? I was surrounded by Eastern European criminals who were waiting for the deportation after prison sentence and by illegals who wanted to come into the country and um, Britain as well. And then they made a decision and they told us we are unwanted characters, unacceptable characters for the UK. And because of those reasons, Brittany already cited, we are not allowed in the UK and we would be detained and then deported on Sunday evening. Mm -hmm. And so what we had wanted to do is because they started detaining us from 1 p.m. on Friday and we wanted to get a flight out on Saturday. And the rules are if you purchase your own flight using the same airline, we flew in on EasyJet, then you should be allowed to leave. 
but they're like, there's too much bureaucratic tape. Like we don't want to do this. So we're going to send you to a detention facility and then let you fly out on Sunday at 5:30, easy jet from the Luton airport. And so we weren't comfortable with this. Obviously we didn't want to do it, but they wouldn't let us purchase a flight. Uh, so they brought us to this detention center. It was called the Collenbrook Bypass, and it was right next to Heathrow Airport, where there were flights out from EasyJet on Saturday. So they could have easily brought us there. And what really concerned me about this was the fact that the minute we arrived, separately, the warden or manager of the detention center said that, okay, you need to not discuss your political views. Don't really let anyone know who you are because it could, you know, cause some kind of disturbance. So the fact that they brought us there, even if there was a small risk of one of us being injured or, you know, someone recognizing Martin attacking him for, you know, speaking out against Islam, then, you know, we were at risk. So why not just let us head out? I fell out for work. It was crazy. The thing is, all of them actually were treating us very nice, the staff, but all of them was very, very concerned about completely sticking to the rules. Mm -hmm. It felt like they um, knew they were being observed from above, even like they they, they handcuffed me, they even handcuffed yeah. Brittany, you know, um, a girl when they dragged her through the airport, because mm -hmm. it's a, it's according to the rules. And then he even told you he could get fired for letting you um, um, yeah, yeah. through a phone call. So it was really yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So they were being nice to me and he was he was like, yeah, I could get fired for this. I won't specify what because I, I don't want to get this employee in trouble. So I won't say who it was, what he did. But he was a little bit more lenient on me. And because of this, he risked his own job. These are people that do agree with us. A lot of them voted for Brexit, but they're afraid. They don't want to lose their jobs and their livelihoods, which is perfectly understandable. But it's just so sad to see the fear that that the UK citizens are living under. It was actually a decision from above. We are not allowed to enter. Then they were finding reasons. And everything I tried to do, especially I didn't want Britney to go to the detention center because, you know, you hear all these stories about uh, UK prisons. Uh, I just had my, had all these stories about these grooming gangs in my head. Mm. And I really tried everything to get it directly to Heathrow to get an earlier flight, but it was just not possible. They kept us there. And I think they also wanted to give a sign to all Political. They wanted to punish us. Exactly. That's that's Absolutely. what I Well, yeah. I mean, without a doubt, you are guys are like a warning shot across the bow of anybody who wants to exercise basic free speech in England and anybody. Well, I shouldn't say you get lots of free speech if you're on the left, uh, right. and you get lots of free speech if you have politically correct opinions. Of course, you don't get free speech if you're not on the left, and that, of course, is the big challenge in this double prong. I would assume of certain people in the uh, Antifa community and other people in religious communities not wanting you guys in. And then, of course, the police taking the easy path, which is if you're in and there's trouble, that's trouble for them. But if you don't come in, there's no trouble, which is basically surrendering free speech to extremists and radicals and giving a big warning sign that you don't come to England if your speech is going to cause any trouble at all. Mm -hmm. exactly. That was also very concerning. The fact that they were punishing us. We just wanted to go. I was going to go to Martin's event just to film it for a video. He wanted to go and speak peacefully at a peaceful event, just there to, you know, exercise his right to freedom of speech. Antifa set up a counter protest on Facebook. They were tweeting all throughout the days leading up to it, you know, that we're going to shut this down by any means necessary and, you know, expressing violent intentions. And yet they're never they're never patrolled in any way. Like I thought in the UK, you know, they're like monitoring online for hate speech and any possible, uh, you know, people trying to incite violence, but they don't go after Antifa. They're mm -hmm. just like foot soldiers for them. The Antifa are. 
I think what you said um, earlier now is just that that's the keyword is silence. They want to have everything calm and peaceful and like a peaceful uh, exchange of the population and everybody who's who's addressing these issues uh, is um, to kept out or kept silence because the most important thing in all these um, in these documents were it could uh, raise tensions between local communities. Mm -hmm. So we could cause turmoil by t talking about these burning issues that they just don't want it. And um, for me, it's a sign how totalitarianism and multiculturalism are connected. And that we see it directly in the UK, like, like in a showcase scenario, how it's getting more and more totalitarian as it's getting more and more ethnically fragmented and multiculturalist. Mm -hmm. Well, there is, I think, a basic perspective that I'm, I'm sure you're aware of, but I just wanted to sort of reinforce and underline, which is that... Um, the groups that cause the most trouble are getting their way. And it's like England has learned nothing from appeasement, the appeasement issues of the 20th century. It doesn't get easier if you bow and reinforce the bullies. And a day or two after, what was it in Telford? It turns out that since the 1960s, you've had these uh, Pakistani rape gangs who have uh, abused and tortured and even murdered, I assume mostly white girls, I think a thousand or more. For decades, this has been going on, and the British police seem to have done nothing slash enabled the entire situation. But boy, you want to see efficient policing, you just try and come in and talk about challenging issues in uh, England, and then <laughs> the police are all, they can't control the borders unless, unless, you can't stop tons of illegal immigrants coming into the island unless, boy, they're all over you if you are not on the left and you want to exercise free speech. And I think that is pretty chilling uh, for people. If the police were efficient as a whole, okay, well, that's bad for you guys, but at least a thousand girls aren't getting raped and tortured, mutilated and murdered because they're really efficient at enforcing those don't rape, torture, mutilate and kill little girls. But the fact is that they're very soft in certain issues and ridiculously hard, over hard, of course, in other issues. That is something that I think is a has got to be a wake-up call, if a wake-up is at all possible. Yeah, the border force seems very lax in general. You know, they let all these illegals slip through the cracks and stuff, but suddenly they're just 100% competent when it comes to people like Martin, me, Lauren Southern. It's it's crazy. Wasn't there a man in the cell yeah. with you? that? My cell, there was a young Libyan Syrian guy, and he, told, he bragged about in front of the cameras, we were, there was CCTV all the time, um, that he threw away his passport and he just waited for transport into the UK, not outside of the UK, to a, to a refugee camp. And uh, that's that's the way it is. Our states, they are failing everywhere. They cannot control the borders. They cannot control internal security. They cannot guarantee our securities. But the only ways where they are still effective is by taxing us and by controlling our freedom of speech. Uh, in other words, shutting it down. And the crazy thing is they wanted to keep us out because we were disturbing the peace amongst lo local communities. And in this article, you see how this peace looks like, you know, this, uh, this alleged peace between this beautiful multiculturalist UK system. It's rape, you know, it's Islamization. It's all this violence going on in the street every day. And that's, that is not a, a, a peace. It's a, it's actually a death in silence. Like you said, the suffering silence. For the yeah, image. there was the one of the border patrol uh, men, he was right wing, he voted for UKIP, he was an older gentleman. And he was saying, you know, the British, it's just our natural character, it's our attitude to suffer in silence. 
And I said to him, I'm like, okay, it's one thing to suffer in silence if there's an end to it. But when you suffer in silence, you are losing more of your freedoms incrementally every day. It's not getting better. It's not a sickness that's going to end. It's one that's going to worsen. So the longer you do this, the worse it's going to get. And it's going to be harder for you to stand up and challenge these injustices when it's finally, you know, directly affecting just the average UK citizen who has no interest in politics, but it's being dragged into it for their political beliefs. So I, I really... I hope that, you know, if this is something that can wake people up, that's wonderful. If it's not this, hopefully something else will just make them take a stand and realize that they, they're right under their nose. They're losing their country. Well, so the other thing, of course, that has crossed my mind, your mind, and the mind of many others is the fact that there are, what, tens of thousands of jihadis, uh, radical extremists, uh, wandering the streets of England. There are 400 if I remember the number rightly, about 400 people who've gone to fight for ISIS who have been welcomed back into the UK, but you guys aren't welcome. Lauren Southern is not welcome, at least according to those in London. Donald Trump is not welcome. The historical special relationship that defeated Nazism, not welcome. And this feels eerie. It feels surreal in some ways. Uh, and the relationship between the UK and America is is uh, being destabilized and undermined. And the tradition that England fought for for hundreds of years for free speech, I mean, just go back to Milton's Areopagitica, one of the great documents on the value of free speech that came out of England, is being undermined extraordinarily rapidly. And that is something that, again, I just, you know, people need to see this for what it is. It's, it's blatant political discrimination. And, you know, there are some people arguing like, you know, they're saying that conservatives aren't welcome in the UK. Well, that that might be, you know, true that they are welcome if they're conservatives who are willing to, you know, keep their head down and blend in with the politically correct narrative. Yeah, sure. But if you're a conservative who's going to be voice your opinions loudly and try to wake others up, then, you know, I don't think you're going to be very welcome. And we're seeing that now. It's also that um, the, the British government, they want to protect the citizens more from uh, challenging opinions like my speech or Britney's interviews than from actual terror or rape. Mm -hmm. So these are minor problems. They don't care about it. They're just casualties in the big experiment of, of turning European homogenous societies into multiculturalist systems. Mm -hmm. uh, but people who actually have challenging and differentiating ideas, they, they do everything in their power, raise all the money possible to protect their people from these different ideas. It's, mm -hmm. it's really crazy and it's um, um, an incredible amount of hypocrisy. And um, it does show me, of course, that in these kinds of situations, the people who are the most reasonable are the people who get the heavy hand of the state upon them. And the people who are the least reasonable, the people who are threatening violence, they're the ones that the state bows to. And the people who are coming in with arguments, with evidence, with ideas, with free speech, those are the people who are being acted against. And that, of course, is the exact opposite. The, the state is supposed to protect free speech and oppose violence. And what it's doing now is protecting violence and opposing free speech. That is the exact mirror image. It's the dark negative of what the state should be engaged in, which is a huge watershed moment in Western history, in my view. Absolutely. And we're, we're not going to let this go. We're looking to get a lawyer right now in the UK who knows British law very well. We're going to try to appeal the decision because... 
Um, there's one that's been following our case and she's saying there's possibly some things that were committed that were illegal here. So we're going to look into it. The American embassy is doing an um, investigation um, on my behalf of what happened to me. So it'll all unfold more in the future. But also what's great is that uh, Tommy Robinson is going to go to Speaker's Corner next Sunday at 3 p.m. and read Martin's speech, which he rewrote while he was in the detention facility. So that should be a very great event because Tommy's actually never gone to Speaker's Corner before because it's about 90% Muslims that go there now and it's very dangerous for him. But he's going to go and do it. He's asking for anyone who who is able to attend to attend and come support um, him and this just the, the, the principle of freedom of speech in general. The message is you can stop the speaker, but you cannot stop the speech. Yeah. Now, just for people who aren't aware of it, tell people uh, a little bit more, please, about Speaker's Corner, where it is and how they can join Tommy. So Speaker's Corner is in Hyde Park. I think it's the northeast section of Hyde Park in London. And it's very famous as kind of the last bastion of freedom of speech in the UK. So, you know, all sorts of controversial figures like Karl Marx, Vladimir Lenin, um, George Orwell, they've all spoken there before. They go every Sunday. It starts around noon and go, goes and um, goes to about four or five and gets more and more populated as time goes on um, throughout the day. I've actually been there once the last time I went. It was completely packed. You just no, no one really uses any kind of voice amplifying uh, devices. Everyone just grab a crate, grab a ladder and just go speak what you want, you know, any topic. And yeah, that's it. It's, it's become very famous over um, the course of I think it started gained popular popularity around the mid 1800s. 3 p.m. next Sunday. OK. Yes. What was it like? Because, of course, when you're out, you're out. But when you're in, you don't know when you're going to come out. And, of course, you're cut off, as you say. You're surrounded by some mildly questionable characters, to put it as nicely as possible. What was the experience like to, to be in that confined space for, what was it, the time, an indeterminate amount of time? It was it was pretty awful. I think the worst part of it was the fact that they wouldn't even let us speak to each other, except for once um, in the in the detention facility for about half an hour. We were escorted to this like meeting room and we were able to speak. But at one point, Martin thought I was lost. You can explain that. And that was crazy. Yeah, because she she wouldn't show up in the system. They were, were checking her and then they thought she might have taken a plane back to the United States. So uh, at one point for a few hours, I thought she was lost and, and completely disappeared. And um, for me, also what, what Brittany said, it's like this feeling of powerlessness mm -hmm. and um, also this feeling that the state who is actually there to protect you has turned uh, uh, into a hostile entity against you. It's like when your immune system attacks your own body, you know, that's that, that, uh, how it feels mm -hmm. suddenly because we've done nothing wrong. I'm a, a law-abiding citizen. I like the idea of law and order. I have nothing against the border control. I always completely comply with, with the police. But when you see, okay, they're really uh, against you. They're, they're treating you like a criminal, like an enemy of the state. That is a very strange feeling. It's really, as you said, a watershed moment. They were very adamant many times about saying it's, it's a detention facility. It's not a prison. And yet on, on some of the papers they gave Martin, it said prison number. Or, you know, like Was outside, it? there were there were all these walls, these gates, you had to go in, they had to check the vans with mirrors, you know, you were locked in the van, there was, you know, the cameras in the van watching you as you drove in, you had to go in, we had to get turn over pretty much all of our belongings, like all these things, we couldn't keep like our money, our lighters, all our, 
equipment, like cameras and computers. They had to put them in these little bags, like file it all. We had to go in and everywhere we went, we were with a guard. And then, you know, we were handcuffed as we were escorted. Like the whole thing felt like a prison. I, it was just called a detention facility, but it, it did very much feel like a prison. So it was a yeah. prison. Also, the whole building. It was. I think it was an old prison that they bought and then ran for the for the border control forces. And the people inside of there were only Eastern European criminals waiting for the deportation or illegals. And that's mm -hmm. that's uh, that was very showing that how the state is treating political um, opponents or uh, people of a of a disliked political belief because we've done nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. There was no crime in involved, no no uh, legal foundation, just because they thought there might something happen without any basis. In my case, even the Antifa violence against me was the reason for keeping me out. So actually the state was acting as, a, as an ally of, of the Antifa in that case. When I spoke to the duty officer at the American embassy, because it's closed on the weekend, so only the emergency lines were open. So when I called, he's like, oh my gosh, this is Brittany Petty. I've never seen like so many calls on your behalf. But I explained it, which I'm very grateful for, by the way, all the support has been amazing. But when I explained to him the situation, he's like, your situation is very unique, which is why we really need to look into everything. Like, like it's, common that Americans are denied access to, you know, entry to the UK, but it's usually something wrong with your visa. It's not usually ever a situation like this. So they need to like take a step back, like really figure out what's going on because the whole thing's completely bizarre. Well, and this of course is what happens when you don't have a first amendment and people aren't standing tall for the right to free speech. This could not happen, of course, in the United States because it would be adjudicated very quickly as an interference in the legal basis for free speech. But of course, once you start to have governments that begin to adjudicate in the political arena in the way that some of the tech companies are doing these days, once you have governments stepping in and saying, okay, well, this idea is good. This idea is bad. This idea is peaceful. This idea can provoke violence. Then all you're doing is you're saying to people, well, violence works. If you threaten aggression against speakers, we will bow to you and we will ban those speakers. This is reinforce, reinforcing and rewarding people's willingness to use violence to shut down opposing ideas. Now, the reality, of course, as you know, is the opposing ideas do not vanish. If your ideas are so terrible, people should give you a spotlight, they should give you a big microphone, and they should let you go make fools of yourselves, and then people can dismiss your ideas as being the rhetorical equivalent of a square circle. And the fact that they're banning the ideas, the fact that they're not letting people speak, the idea that this somehow gets rid of the ideas, that the ideas just magically go away, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. It means the ideas are no longer in the public discourse. And also, of course, given what's happened, there is going to be a lot of positive response. And I'm sure you've heard uh, about all of the positive response you've been getting. Yes, it's People are like, well, they're being acted against by the state, which has done nothing to protect tens of thousands of British girls from these rape gangs. And so I am now very interested in what these guys have to say. I'm very curious about what they have to say. And it is sort of like when you hit a pinata, it doesn't vanish. What happens is the candy spills and everyone comes, comes looking for the good stuff. Mm -hmm. I think, they, as you said, they just raised interest because everybody now wants to know what is it that those people have to say that my government wants to prevent me so desperately from hearing. And that's, I think that's the amazing thing. A totalitarian system when it uh, has to act and, and enforce repression with every time they're enforcing repression it's get it's getting weaker so our chance to beat this new uh, leftist multiculturalist totalitarianism is to force it 
to be to radicalize itself, to force to let the mask drop and to force them to enact repression. And it only works when people are stopped to suffer in silence and stand up for freedom of speech. And everybody who's uh, nonviolent, peacefully standing up and just saying those things, those 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 crazy and uh, taboo things, and speaking out. And then even if it becomes um, uh, he, he experiences repression. Every time you have a public display of repression and of shutdown of freedom of speech, the system gets weaker. That's, that's, I think, our path to victory against it. Well, even under incredibly repressive regimes in Russia, you couldn't stop the Samizdat, you couldn't stop the Gulag Archipelago from being handed around. And um, especially now with the internet, with the free speech that is engendered by TCPIP, the idea that you can snap your fingers and make ideas go away is something that is so archaic that it is, of course, going to act. And it's funny because I've always said that government programs always achieve the opposite of their intended effect. Now, that's true when they try to be generous and help people, they end up trapping people in the welfare state. But also, the opposite effect is when you try to suppress ideas, you might as well shoot a flare up uh, across a dark jungle uh, at midnight because that is how people find you. Right. And it's a bit baffling, though, that they keep doing it because this has happened on many instances. You know, they'll try to kind of oppress someone, shut them down, take away the right to freedom of speech, and it'll just completely backfire and make more people interested in hearing the message. So but they just keep doing it over and over. It's like they don't learn that this is not the way to do it. There would have been way less attention on this issue had they just let it happen. That's the dilemma of of a totalitarian system where they are that far. Um, and if they let it happen, if they let uh, us speak at speaker's corner, they know it will grow and grow and grow. So that's the dilemma. There's so far um, entrenched in the ideological bunker, they cannot go back anymore. And um, that's also, you know, because I'm an activist in Generation Identity, it's a pan-European activist youth movement, uh, by political activism, which is nothing else but visible acts of defiance and of, of um, civil disobedience, we are forcing the system either to take us into public discourse and to change metapolitics and the public debate or to demask itself as totalitarian. And that's that's also why we're doing actions and why we are doing this publicity stance, as some people call it. It's necessary. It's necessary to wake people up and to demask the system as what it is. Well, yeah, see, this is the challenge that you guys have as as young people. You see, the state finds you enormously valuable as prisoners in the indoctrination of government schools. They find you enormously valuable as future tax cattle that they can use as collateral to borrow and bribe. They find you enormously valuable as people that they can tax to pay off the retirement schemes of the boomers. What they don't find you valuable as is thinking independent beings with your own ideas that may go against the narrative. Then suddenly your enormous value vanishes and suddenly you become an enemy. All right. Now, what's the last thing that you would like to say to people uh, across the world who are perhaps awakened suddenly by, wait, what? Peaceful people who are law-abiding citizens want to come in and make statements and they're banned for potential unrest? Of course, where does that end? Oh, the left and other groups, they're so into minority rights until they're no longer the minority. Suddenly then it all vanishes. But what is it that you want to say to people about the danger that they're facing if they want to speak out? I would say that while this kind of oppression or whatever you want to call it is only affecting political dissidents like us now, people speaking out and actually challenging it, 
sooner or later, it's going to come for everyone. It's going to come for no matter if you just have a regular job or it doesn't matter. Eventually it's going to reach you and you need to make a decision whether you want to wait for that. Potentially it'll be very, just way worse at that point. Or if you want to stand up now when you have a better chance of challenging it, especially if we have a lot of people in our great number. So everyone needs to make this decision in some way or another to get involved. And because it's, it's inevitable, it's something that we cannot stop and it's coming sooner or later. So that's what I would say. And then I also want to once again, thank, thank you everybody who raised attention to this issue and is supporting it and talking about it because it was an absolute disgrace what happened and what also happened to Lauren Southern. I just also can say thanks to everybody who tweeted the uh, people in Hungary protesting in front of the uh, the UK embassy in Hungary. <laughs> and I have to say, um, Brittany and I were detained in those little cells, but most of the people who are living in Western societies are also living in mental cells mm -hmm. of fear and of speaking out. And everybody who's watching this video, I have a question for every single person. If they've ever had encounter this moment where we are talking in a train or with colleagues after work and there was this moment this peculiar moment where they knew when i now speak in my mind there are social consequences i lose my jobs my friend and this moment should not exist in a democracy and i i asked the people to also join this fight for a free and open debate and step out of this cage of inner fears and the next time this moment comes everybody who sees this video act up and speak your mind. That's very important because all these little um, acts, they combine and together we can beat this totalitarianism. Well, this of course is the great trick that is pulled. And it's been pulled repeatedly throughout history. You find the least popular group and you say, well, should we suppress their speech? And they're like, I hate those guys. Those guys are terrible. And as soon as you surrender that principle, they say, Nazis, you hate Nazis? Okay, well, let's suppress Nazis. Okay, then what happens? Well, then somebody else is a Nazi, somebody else is a Nazi, you're a Nazi, he's a Nazi, everybody's a Nazi, everyone gets depressed. Free speech is an absolute. Free speech means that the people you find the most horrifying should be free to get up and make their case. Because the moment you surrender free speech out of recoiling from those people, they'll just keep expanding that definition until it includes you. And we have to stand for this on principle. An avalanche starts with a single dislodged snowflake, and it's a lot easier to stop at the top of the mountain than it is at the bottom when it becomes functionally impossible to stop. So give me uh, your websites, uh, your, your contact information so people can find and follow you online. Okay. I would say the, the, the homepage that people should look up if they want to get active, especially people in the UK who might watch this, is the official webpage. It's uh, generationidentityuk.com uh, or just put in Google Generation Identity United Kingdom. Then you find the official webpage of Generation Identity and there they can find all the tools and methods how to get active in the struggle. And for me, I just have my Twitter. It's at Brit Pettibone. And then my YouTube, if you Google my name, Brittany Pettibone, I have a YouTube channel. So those are the best places. Well, I'm glad you guys are out. And uh, it is very encouraging to see your resolution, your stiffened spine in the face of uh, this kind of oppression. Everybody, please talk about this issue. Bring it up with people. If it's uncomfortable, that's the point. They're trying to make everyone so emotionally uncomfortable with these topics that everybody avoids them, and that's how they grow. That's how this tyranny tends to spread and expand. So I appreciate what happened to you. I wish it hadn't, but given that that's where the state is, we can and need to know it, and we really need to talk about it. So thanks, guys, so much. Uh, I'm glad you're safe. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much, Stefan. Thank you. Thanks for having us.